Cards are getting a little bit ugly out there. Give them them all a cookie and make them settle down. The rest of this season is going to feel like a deep pit of despair that there is no escape from for the entirety of the Detroit Red Wings fan base. And yet it's going to seem like a happy family circus compared to what Ottawa Senators fans are going through. Oh, I was thinking that. Um, a couple of days ago, because the Red Wings are what winless in their last seven or something. Who cares? Um, and these last seventeen games are going to feel about four times as long, mm-hmm. and that's still not as bad as what Ottawa's gone through. It's as if we were the Tampa Bay Lightning compared to the Ottawa Senators. Right oh, now. anybody's the Tampa Bay Lightning compared to the Ottawa Senators. Did you see that thread on Twitter where the guy just went on like a thirty-seven long tweet thread of? awful things that have happened to the auto centers in just the last 12 months he's foolish because i think that was a, the the word count on that was high enough to release it in like a novella or a short story and he could have sold that for money and Pu- i would have read it publishers would have bought it and then consumers would have bought it and then we would have read it word for word on this podcast oh absolutely it would have been a long episode but we would have read it that was um depressing to say the least it, it like it was a little gratuitous in what it included like there was a lot of things where it was just like, oh, just random happenstance that happened to suck for senators. But yeah. man, from the moment their Eastern Conference Finals run ended to now has just been a long, long train wreck. <laughs> I was gonna do a few more longs there, but <laughs> didn't want to go the Family Guy route here. Eh? No. Not yet. <laughs> I have mustered up. It's been a long weekend, but I, ha- I have mustered up enough energy to do this, uh, to do this episode. While we're at it, uh, the midweek episode will be uh, an interview. Correct. So no overtime this week because, spoiler, it's already been recorded. Yeah, it was, uh, and it actually worked out perfectly because this week is going to be absolutely crazy for all three of us i might not even be in town and so um it lined up perfectly it's a great interview it's it'll be a shorter episode than what you're used to but it's a fantastic it was still about 45 minutes yeah it was uh oh i guess we can just tell them yeah it was uh micah blake mccurdy from uh ineffective math or hockey viz on uh online um one of the most brilliant hockey analytics minds that we've ever had the privilege of speaking to on the show and not how the interview i would expect i call it stereotyping call it whatever you want but like anytime we talk to someone who's just known as an analytics guy i'm i'm fully mentally prepared for a very dry interview where i have to just force the conversation along and nope not even a little bit i think micah had more personality than we did by double yeah absolutely combined (laughs) uh yeah no micah was great um and we were we even qualified it as we were talking to him before we started recording that um, we're not pros or even like <laughs> like hobbyists in terms of analytics. Like I can look at the stats you put out and go, this guy's good, this guy's bad. That's the extent of <laughs> how yeah. I can analyze analytics. And it takes me some time to like even look at the back end of how they do things. And I'm not. So we were saying like we're we're going to be like on a different page here, and so please forgive us. But no, Micah did a fantastic job of making the information interesting and accessible and relevant. And we asked him some pretty like off the cuff specific questions, and he was bang like he had. Anyways, that'll be either Wednesday or Thursday. So look out for that interview. Um, that that's a really really good one. Uh, for this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be of course uh, starting out by talking about Detroit, uh, everything from the games they played. Uh, to how Zadina is doing, to how some uh, 
prospects in the queue are doing or even some prospects in Finland. Uh, and I also have a conspiracy theory that uh, I thought about on my drive back to town today that I want to bring up with you. And I know your reaction. I know what your rea- reaction is going to be, but I'm going to bring it up anyways. Is it because Jeff Blashill has blackmail material? No, that's... <laughs> he has Ken Holland nudes? No, I don't think... Uh, I don't think it's that crazy. I think it's in the... I think your, your reaction is going to be, oh, well, yeah. But still, I don't think we're talking about it enough. Okay. Topic number two is uh, Eugene Melnick slash the Ottawa... It really should be called Ottawa Senators, but on my laptop I just wrote Eugene Melnick because that's the pronounced train wreck we are talking about. And then we're going to talk about the uh, Islanders versus Tavares saga that has beautifully unfolded over the course of the past week. And then for quick hits, we'll do whatever. Maybe a, we'll run a tankathon. Okay. Yeah, we'll run a tankathon at the end, and then we'll get into uh, now overtime. That, now that Detroit is second last in the NHL, the tankathon has higher odds at being a happy tankathon. Yeah, absolutely. We are how long away from the draft lottery? Uh, two they months. Haven't, they haven't picked a date, but it's generally in like sometime in the playoffs. Yeah, so probably about two months out. That's going to be hell. Uh, you know what I realized though? Hmm. So this is going to be good and bad for us either way. Is a win. No matter how the draft lottery goes for us as a podcast specifically, it's win lose. Uh, uh, scenario A, best case scenario, Red Wings draft number one overall. We don't have a hell of a lot to talk about for the draft coming up. It's like, so how is Ken Holland going to pronounce Jack Hughes when he gets to the stage? Will he make the pick? Will Tyler Wright make the pick? What number will Jack Hughes wear in Detroit? Whereas if we don't get him, then we have very interesting conversations about, oh, well, this prospect would fit because this. Uh, at this spot, I would pick this prospect because why? Interesting conversation. Less good for the franchise long term, but... <laughs> the Yeah, we had Bouchard and Boakvist, like profile. Like We could tell you where the freckles were on their face by the time yeah. the draft came around. What kind of bark is that? I don't know. My God. Nobody's even up there right now. Unless somebody is. Where's Mika? Uh, her, Crystal, and her nephews are going sledding while we record this. That's nice. Uh, so since we last spoke, Detroit was absolutely demolished by Montreal. If that sounds like it's you've heard that before, you have. They lost 8-1 this time. Which was an improvement. <laughs> uh, and then lost last night to Arizona 3-1. to So two regulation losses for Detroit um, to really keep up with an aggressively tanking field uh, around them. So they're still sitting around 30th. Uh, those two games were games number two and three for Philip Zadina. Still nothing doing by uh, way of points for him. Um, I think it's important to note that he doesn't look out of place. He doesn't look dynamic. He doesn't look like a guy who's going to, who if he played 82 games this year would score more than 20 goals. But he looks like he's getting comfortable. He's He had a couple good chances against Arizona. Um, I tapped out of the Montreal game after halfway through the second period. Fair warning. So I have no idea how he looked after that, but he looked pretty adequate leading up to that point. It's nice because versus his first game against San Jose, he's been playing with, you know, offensive players. Yeah. uh, Specifically on Athanasiu's line, although I think there was, that was Athanasiu, um, Zadina Glendening was the line against Arizona, which. No, all right. Whatever. It sounds pretty blashily. I don't care at this point. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's positive signs that it looks like he's adapting well. He had that one nice little two-on-one where it just hit the defender's, uh, the heel of the defender's skate or else that had a pretty good chance of going in. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's rookie life. Uh, Jimmy Howard has had a shaky little stretch here. However, um, 
he had a bad start to the Coyotes game, let in two bad goals. Um, but I think ended up making 41 of 44 saves by the end of the night. So he really turned it around. He had a huge, some huge saves, one classic, like flash of the leather from Jimmy, which was nice. You put out a funny tweet, which was, uh, <laughs> it's nice of Jimmy to have his uh, annual collapse just before he gets signed to a contract extension. Makes it a little bit cheaper for Detroit. Yep. This is going to save the organization a few bucks. Yeah. If that, th- I've seen more and more rumors that that extension is going to be two years in term. And if that's the term, like I'm thrilled. If it's on, if it's two years term, I honestly almost don't care what the cap hit is. Cause if it's, de- if it's identical cap hit, then I come off the soapbox that I've been standing on where yeah. he's paid, his cap hit right now would be too high because if it's for two years then i'll take it especially considering what we've seen this year detroit's not going to be a contender in two years they have infinity amount of cap space this summer right now sure um the (laughs) zadina at the end of the coyotes game they had an empty net uh, they had their net pulled and uh, zadina's behind the net and i heard the commentary go zadina throws it in front and i was like huh and they were like to abdulkader i was like oh god So, yeah, so that that was uh, needless to say, the puck did not enter the net on that play. No, I we do get some tweets from time to time. We've had a few over the past few days where it's like, how's Zadina looking? And that's the thing. Like, if that's the scenario he's going to be in, it's going to be he's not going to be lighting the world on fire for his first nine games. Of course, there's still six left. You never know what happens, but this might be a pretty meh, like nine game audition, which is fine. The sky is not falling. And again. Athanasiu is not what we would do. As good as he is, not a playmaker. Luke Glendening is not a playmaker. Tyler no. Bertuzzi is not a playmaker. So as much of as, as you can call it, it's an offensive-focused line, which is great for Zadina. He ain't playing with anybody that's going to be uh, adequately dishing him the puck, which is probably what he's going to need, a la Patrice Bergeron consistently giving the puck to David Posternak. Uh, what uh, what kind of forward do the Red Wings desperately need right now, Brad? You uh, said this like a couple a of playmaker, a playmaker because they don't have one. Not that they don't have a good one; they don't have one. Dylan Larkin is probably the best playmaker on this team, and he's probably more of a natural uh, goal scorer than he is a natural playmaker. But he doesn't have the choice right now. Dylan Larkin's at twenty seven goals, three yep. away. That'll be uh, even if it's just him and nobody else. That'll be nice to see a 30-goal scorer on Detroit again. Yeah. Barring something horrible happening, like a slump. I cursed it. I just cursed it. I- Congratulations, Dylan Larkin is scoring two goals over the last 17 games. Oh, boy. Uh, the Red Wings have... You know, the rest of the schedule for them doesn't look terribly easy. Like, Colorado, Rangers, Lightning, Florida, Montreal, Lightning, Islanders. These are a lot of playoff teams like looking towards the end of the season and so it's not going to be um an easy ride for them so if you're a tank commander it's not a bad look for you uh in terms of red wings prospects uh the qmjhl's hold on we can't no we can't we can't move on before we talk about that goal in the coyotes game which goal the goal which goal the goal that was scored before it was scored oh how the uh the the light guy was on was yeah, drunk because that was the craziest sequence of saves ever, and the Coyotes goal horn guy couldn't even believe it. Jimmy Howard makes an unbelievable save with his glove, but the rebound goes right into the slot, and of course, there's no Red Wings defender there to pick it up. No, so Tyler Bertuzzi just comes full. I don't even know what you want to call it. Bertuzzi short stop through the <laughs> through the crease and blocks it with his chest. He went and then. Hurt. 
And then again, the puck pops out into the slot. And once again, there's not a Red Wings defender there to pick up the puck. So the Coyotes get another free shot at the empty net. And Madison Bowie comes sliding across and blocks it. At which point, the guy running the goal horn and the lights in Arizona could not believe that out of those three shots, none of them went in the net because all three of them probably should have. So he sets off the horn... And the lights come down and the horn's going. The puck's still in play. Everybody's like, what's happening? And then the Coyotes put it in the net. Which is unfortunate. And it counts. It counts because the horn and the light... The horn is one... Like, the light is one thing. You see it from time to time where the light comes on prematurely. There's a a goal line ref behind the glass who sometimes messes up. And that's understandable. But the horn is a little bit much in my mind. That should not be going off until you see the light, which I guess did happen. But it's yeah, it was. I can see why they allowed it. You play to the whistle, but also play to the whistle is a funny notion to play by when you also hear a loud horn, <laughs> goal horn, and then you have to tell your well, body to keep playing. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're wrong. The referee does not blow the whistle when there is a goal is scored. Mm. He just points at the net. They do. I don't think they do. They do. I was a referee. Yeah. They, like, Are they in the NHL? Yeah, they should. Sometimes they, they might not, sometimes because of the horn, but the referee's whistle does go. I've never noticed that, ever. You'll notice it in quieter games um, or games no, where... No, so any game in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> or Ottawa. <laughs> or Detroit. <laughs> what? Huh? Huh? What? Yeah, so that was uh, that was unfortunate. Again, you know, nothing to scream to the gods about, but... Just it a little bit of hilarity. Game. Detroit was still. Hey, down. Arizona in a playoff spot, sitting on sixty-nine points. Nice, nice. They were actually only in a playoff spot for like forty minutes before Minnesota won their game that night. Oh, they actually won. Minnesota won, so now Arizona sits ninth. But Arizona is basically missing eight of their top ten players right now. Doesn't not, not almost like literally, I think. Um, and yet they're still winning, and they have caught all the way up despite being near the basement of the league just a couple months ago. It's. If the Islanders didn't go from the worst defensive team to the best, therefore sealing Barry Trotz's Jack Adams, it would be Rick Tockett's. I love Rick Tockett. I really do wish, like, I really do view him, did view him as a viable candidate for Detroit to pick up. Uh, yeah, the West is weird, man. The, the West has Arizona sitting one point out of a playoff spot, and they have, like, eight injured players, five of them with knee injuries. Ekman Larson, I think, has a knee injury from the Detroit game, which would absolutely, well, should devastate them, but who knows. Um, Really all the way down in Colorado with 68 points. Chicago, like, teams like Chicago and Edmonton, it won't happen, but could still technically make a run. They have 63 points. Last place in the West has 56, and a playoff spot is 70. That is not a remarkable gap. Granted, there are only 17 games left in the season, but still, the West is kind of completely up for grabs. Minnesota, Arizona, Colorado, and Dallas vying for the last wildcard spot, or the last two wildcard spots. None of those teams are truly inspiring where you're like, oh yeah, these are definitely playoff teams. No, like I said last episode, someone's going to trip and fall into a playoff spot in the West. A hundred percent. And Dallas is only three points behind St. Louis, which I, like seems like an indictment onto St. Louis, but you all have to also understand St. Louis was at one point last in the West this year. They did the reverse Buffalo slash Edmonton. They were in last place in the entire NHL in yeah. the first week of January. Yeah, so yeah, it's a weird conference. The Eastern race is going to be good. Columbus, right now, they do have two games in hand, but Columbus right now is two points out of a playoff spot. 
Bum, bum. I was listening to the most recent 31 Thoughts, which was actually an excellent, one of my favorites so far. Um, and I've, I heard this sentiment put out there, and I couldn't help but agree completely, which is that I hope, or they hope, that Columbus does make a playoff run. Not even make the playoffs, but make a playoff run. Because you do not want another generation of GMs being far too scared of doing what Jarmo Kekalainen did. I would be the GM to not do what Jarmo Kekalainen did. I think that, like, I think I, I would play it a little bit more conservative, conservatively. But I can absolutely understand how entertaining and fun it is as a fan to see what Columbus is doing right now. So I hope, for their sake and for the sake of just going balls to the wall in the future with different teams, that this doesn't fail for them. But imagine the chaos if it didn't. Just imagine that. But it's Columbus, right? Like, they're not a huge market like Toronto where, like, the media would focus on it forever and ever. No, they would just kind of shit all over Columbus and then move on from it. Imagine Columbus misses the playoffs and resigns almost everybody. It's uh, That would be the type of chaos I'm here for. Tortorella was actually, he, he came on for the last 30 minutes of that podcast, and he spoke pretty openly about the situation with Panarin and, and Bobrovsky, and it's kind of remarkable what he's done at that room because they've had two meetings with the players um, where they all sat and spoke openly. Like the player, like Bobrovsky and Panarin and the rest of the team, coaches, trainers, about the situation. They know they're leaving. They know what the expectations are from the rest of the team, and Panarin and Bobrovsky know what their expectations are as well. And it's everyone's just being apparently completely honest about it. And, and if you can get a, a locker room to buy into a team in a playoff run and a push with that situation at hand, you have to hand it to, to John Tortorella. And I've been critical of him in the past, but seriously, that is not an easy feat. And that demonstrates a, a growth of him as a coach that he we maybe wouldn't have seen in the past. Like, that's a level of distraction that would sink a lot of, I would say, most teams. And here Columbus is gearing up to make a, a deep playoff run. So, yeah, I, I do hope it works out for them. I do kind of want to see a conference final push. Do you know who else is gearing up for a deep playoff run? Who? The Drummondville Voltageur. Oh, nice transition. Yeah. 99- also the Halifax Mooseheads. 99 points in 55 games? 99 points in 53 games. For Joe Valeno. Mr. Joe Valeno. Um, Mr. I'm definitely going to be in at least the AHL next year. Don't be surprised to see me. Oh, he's he's even said in his uh, little reports that he's doing for NHL.com that he's not going back to the queue. No, of course not. So I don't know if um, the organization has outright told him that he's not coming back or if he's just that confident that he ain't coming back. I think legally, if you're scoring near nearly two points per game, in the queue, uh, you have to get moved up. <laughs> the that's, police will come and move you themselves. That's the law. Like, Joe Valeno's missed, well, a world junior tournament amount of games and is still only five points out of, like, the league lead in points. And let's not forget, he's 19. He would still, if he wanted, have two years left in this league because you're allowed to go up into my veins, Brad. Yeah. So there, although, I, and one of the two players above him, Maybe a Red Wing next year. Who's that? Alexi Lafreniere. <laughs> not this year, not this draft, but the one next after. Year. Yeah, and then and then the guy in first is two years older than him. So we have a uh, an overager, 
a generational talent, and Joe Valeno leading the queue in scoring right now. And if we're going by points per game, congrats. Joe has it right now. If you consider uh, the preseason that Joe Valeno had, and for those who forget, Joe Valeno had a fantastic preseason, actually made it difficult to send him down when there was pretty much no other choice but to send him down. Um, and what he's doing right now, you add another really strong offseason on his part and a, a good showing in training camp and preseason, do not be surprised if Joe Valeno gets reps as third-line center for Detroit Red Wings next year. He'll get, at worst, he'll get his cup of tea like Zadina is this year. At worst. He's, at getting, worst. he's getting at least that next year. But if you're a fan in other stats, too, remember, Joe Valeno is primarily a playmaker in his entire QMJHL career. He's always been a pass-first type guy. Currently has 41 goals, good for third in the league. In 53 games. 41 goals. In 53 games. And then if you're thinking, well, you know, it's nice that he got his goals up, but if he's a playmaker, that's what Detroit needs. I don't really want him adapting his game too much. Well, he's got he's third in assists as well. Mm. <laughs> is that 58 assists? Yes, it is. And then if you're like, yeah, but what about intangibles and and being out there in key situations? Well, Joe Valeno leads the league in shorthanded goals with 7. <laughs> Fun fact, he only has 6 power play goals. This is so the the Red Wings really are right now suffering on forward. Yeah, but hold on, we're not done here because oh, people going. can score shorthanded goals, man. It's not doesn't mean anything. It's is he clutch though? You can anybody can score goals anytime in the game. Well, he's third in the queue in game winning goals as well. So every important stat, look there he is. And if you're like, okay, Brad, this is all great. But these are real stats. I don't buy into that crap. What's his plus minus? He's a plus 61. Good for second in the league. <laughs> I was going to be like, we. I know you joked about plus minus being useless right there. But how? why would this be relevant? Plus 61. He's a plus 61. <laughs> his plus minus is higher than Toronto's goal differential. <laughs> And that's the that's the stat I'm going to choose to lead with talking about Joe Valeno moving forward. And now for the final one, his save percentage. <laughs> Surprisingly, only an 8.54. Yeah, he's not a great goalie. Uh, and Jared McIsaac. Oh, Jared McIsaac, the second uh, or the third of the three potential first round talents that Detroit drafted last year. Um, is currently well. You 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 tell us you have his stats. Okay, apart. so right now Jared McIsaac sits um, second in QMJHL defensive scoring. Uh, he is currently six points behind Charles Edward Dastu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to assume I pronounced that flawlessly. Absolutely. Um, but that guy has played seven more games than Jared McIsaac. Oh, so his points per game for defenseman is... Jared McIsaac leads the QMJHL in points per game by a defenseman. And it's worth noting that he's second in total points, and then if you drop down 11 points to seventh spot, you will find 11th overall pick Noah Dobson. Oh, so Detroit picking... They picked McIsaac, what, 35th? 36th. 36th, so 25 spots later, got the defenseman that we all... Kind of, or potentially, I'm, I'm not. Nothing's concrete here, but maybe got the defenseman that they wish they would have gotten around seven to eleven. Okay, I was just gonna make a plus minus joke because uh, McIsaac's a plus twenty seven, but I just have to point out a stat that I just found on another player here. What's that? So there's a guy named Felix Boivin. He plays for Valdor. 
He's sixth in defensive scoring right now. Uh, <laughs> can't believe this is a real stat. He's 60 games played, nine goals, 42 assists, 51 points. Pretty good. And he's a minus 56. What? <laughs> Nobody else on the leaderboard. You have to go all the way down to friggin' 14th place just to get another player in the minuses at all. <laughs> How do you get to be minus 56? Having 51. What? <laughs> It sticks out like a sore thumb. It's hilarious. That team, how, what, what place is that team in? I have must no be, idea. Must be beyond last. They've got, they're, they've got to be like the Ottawa Senators of the QMJHL. Yeah. Anthony Mantha would be upset. Oh That's his whole boy. Team. But yeah. So, oh, and uh, another fun fact. Uh, even though Jared McIsaac's at second place in total points, it's okay. He sits first in goals for a defenseman. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're okay. We're okay there. So the Red Wings potentially had three. They had two first round picks, and um, they have two first round picks and a second round pick that are currently playing like first round, like first half of first round talents. And that's not to mention Jonathan Berggren, who's been injured for a good amount of this season. Almost the entirety of the season, he played what a dozen games. If the if the Red Wings pick in Jared McIsaac pans out to be a strong pick for a defenseman, like he's he's a defenseman who pair, like pans out to be like a solid second pairing guy, or like if we want to get crazy, like a potential future first line pairing or first pairing defenseman, uh, this draft will probably be looked back on as pivotal in the regeneration of the Red Wings as a franchise. I will repeat. If Joe Valeno and Jared McIsaac continue on the trajectory they are, even if Philip Zadina flames out, this is a successful draft. Yeah, legitimately. And that seems hard to believe, but you look at uh, look at Mark Stone was a late-round pick. Look at Nikita Kucherov was a second-round pick. Like A lot of players, and it's not likely, but we're not talking about future picks. We're talking about picks that have already been made. That's how you, you create a strong draft, and that's how you get the amount of talent that you need to become a contender. And and let's not forget, too, when we were leading into the draft, um, when we were talking about McIsaac, because I think on my personal rankings, I had him as a late first-round pick, and my reasoning for that was he's a really smart two-way defender, but I don't see a lot of offensive upside there, is now the best scoring defenseman in the QMJHL. You were wrong in the best way. I'm so happy. Speaking of Detroit late-round picks, uh, their most intriguing pro- uh, project of late, and uh, maybe Hakan Hakan Anderson's um, renaissance, if Hulk. you will, Hakan Anderson, Hakan Anderson. I probably butchered that, and all a couple of our Swedish listeners oh, they're will gonna, yell at me, but I went for it. Yeah, they're gonna get us for that one. Duly noted, uh, or, or well, absolutely justified. Yeah, because we get every Swedish name wrong. Apparently, someone, uh, one of our Swedish fellows, was trying to teach me that, like. Uh, Gus Nyquist is actually like Gustav Nukust or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, And I'm like, no, that doesn't sound right. But, no. but it's his actual name. I'm like, nah. Uh, Otto Kivan Mackey, who is listed as uh, 5'8", which might be generous, at the time of being drafted was 137 pounds, uh, is currently playing uh, in, like, in the big leagues in Finland, has had 29 games, uh, scored his first goal the other day in uh, the Finnish... Uh, the Finnish league's uh, SM Liga, one goal, 12 assists, 13 points in 29 games. For a guy who's 5'8", playing with men around him, he's only 18 years old. He was born in 2000. And it's funny, too, because he was he spent a good chunk of the season in, for their junior team as well. Yeah. In which case, where he was holding over a point and a half per game. So he was just like 
hilariously too good for that league, but way too small for the men's league. So they kind of got stuck between a rock and a hard place on him. But and it, and it's not just that he's put up those amount of points in Liga. It's that it's mostly been done recently. He mm. did not get any points. I think for his first, uh, he had a, he had a so slow games, start, and then he went back to junior, and then they brought him back up, and he's been great since. He um he's he's got an insane amount of talent, and we've seen nobody's gonna pretend or ignore the Marty Saint Louis of past or the uh, Johnny Goudreau's of past. There is room in this league for undersized players as long as they're very very talented and can adapt their game and what we have in Otto Kevin Mackey is a player with a ton of raw talent a ton of skill and who's getting practice playing against grown men in a professional hockey league like professional at 18 years old again don't buy your jerseys don't book your tickets don't fly to Finland to go see him play quite yet but this is a very promising project for someone who is drafted seventh round. Seventh round. Seventh round. So uh, I don't want to say he could be the Red Wings' best seventh round pick since Jonathan Erickson, but Jonathan Erickson was a ninth round pick, wasn't he? He was back when there was nine rounds. I want to say that explains so much about him. I could be wrong. I don't know. He was the last pick in the draft. That's all I remember. But and also funny, just while we're talking about prospects, just on a really funny note mm-hmm. so i was watching the kitchen rangers play the london knights on friday night and london's a far better team so mm-hmm. it turned into a really good game finished 8-6 but in the first period london got a power play and they had this really nice goal where the defender made a really nice pass to the player in front of the net who made a little inside out move and uh and shelved it like a true net front's presence i'm like wow that's really cool and then i realized that net front presence was alec regula really yes why was he playing net front I don't know. Because he's big. He's but. a defensive defenseman. Well, actually, he's been putting up some pretty solid offensive numbers uh, this year. But, yeah, they have him playing net front on the power play. And, and based on that one look there, uh, not bad. <laughs> he's not bad at it. It was a nice little curl and tuck. We'll take it. The Michael Rasmussen special, if you will. So, I have a conspiracy theory, Brad. That Alec Regula is actually a forward, and they've just been misplaying him this whole time? Yeah, so uh, no one else would take him. Yep. Um so we saw in Ken Holland's post game or post trade deadline pressers, he said some things that were, I think, the right things to say, but were kind of out of line of how he usually approaches his uh, public comments towards the rebuild. I think he acknowledges the rebuild, but he never actually says the things that we all say, like the talking heads say. One of them, and it's stuck in my head, has been. Uh, I wish I could have gotten more draft picks. I wish I could have moved more guys for more draft picks, but it just wasn't a market. And that's not a thing that that doesn't align with Ken Holland's at least public philosophy. And even if that is a philosophy or or, or the game plan that he's deploying, you know that's kind of counter to what he wants to be doing. He's only doing that if he finds the absolute need. Now, the likely scenario is he realizes that this is a actual rebuild and he knows he needs to be doing it because it doesn't take a lot of you know skill or insight into the Red Wings situation to know that that should be the game plan and I don't necessarily subscribe to my own conspiracy theory but just food for thought remember when uh, I believe it was Devilano said we're going to go off the board to make a splash like we want to accelerate accelerate this rebuild we can't always count on winning the draft lottery like you can come in dead last and still only have a 19% chance we're going to do something wacky and we haven't really heard anything about that since and then you have ken holland saying i want to accumulate as many draft picks as possible are they gonna make a big offer sheet push 
No. Accumulating as many draft picks as possible to shelter the amount of picks that you have and then allowing yourself to give up your own picks in a big offer sheet or even just a decent size offer sheet to acquire a player that would really significantly push the rebuild forward. Let's look at this. I'm going to give you two players as examples and tell me if either of these are realistic possibilities, okay? You go the Braden Point or Miko Rantanen or Mitch Marner route. You giving up three to four first-round picks for any one of those guys? No. Okay. So we take that option off the table. So let's look at a smaller guy, someone who's going to probably cost in the four to $6 million range where you might have to give up a second and a third, maybe a first-round pick, Kasperi Kapanen. So if you sign a guy like Kasperi Kapanen for under $6 million, is there any chance in hell the Leafs don't match that? Uh, you know, he might be the cat. The casualty of this offseason. They have, if if they truly thought that was the case, they would have traded him for one of the number of teams that was angling for him, and they could have got a defenseman in return. Not necessarily. If I'm Toronto and I see the team that you have right now, and you see what Tampa's doing, you want to retain every... Like, if I'm Toronto, I see this as your best opportunity talent-wise. No, I agree. But what I'm saying is if Dubas thought there was a realistic chance that they were going to lose Kapanen, when Carolina's on the phone every other day saying, we'll give you Prep Pesci for Kasperi Kapanen, we'll give you Dougie Camilton for Kasperi Kapanen, we'll give you whoever for Kasperi Kapanen. If you're Dubas, don't you say yes? You're improving your blue line while getting something for Kapanen rather than just a couple of draft picks? Look, I know you're right, and I would align with you if I wasn't doing a conspiracy theory. I'm just saying... We have, we have no more information on what the, this big splash is. So let, let me jump to your side here. Do I think it's a smart move to offer sheet just about any of the free agents this summer? No, God, no. I, it's either a waste of your time or it's going to cost way too much. Does that mean I don't think Ken Holland will do it? Nope. I, he's made bigger mistakes than this before. So I could see him making this kind of mistake again. And it's not just Ken Holland. Before it used to be uh, the fan base screaming that this team wasn't viable and they needed to rebuild, and Ken Holland saying, no, no, we'll maximize what we have now, and the upper execs just kind of laughing. And then it was the fan base screaming we need to rebuild, Holland acknowledging that the team's not doing so hot, uh, and the upper administration saying, well, we got to put butts in seats. And then it was we're screaming for a rebuild, Ken Holland is saying, yeah, we got to do something. We're not in a good place. And then you have Devilano saying, yeah, we're in a rut, but we need to get out of it. Not focusing on the rebuild part, just focusing on getting out of it. To be fair, Devilano seemed a bit off his rocker for a few years now. But you... you to put it politely. But, like, there's not... There's not no influence there. No, there's not no influence there. But, again, it's just... What would you rather do? Lose two draft picks and pay $8 million a year for eight years of... Braden Point, or would you lose no, or would you prefer to lose no draft picks and slightly overpay Artemi Panarin for eight years? I'd rather keep the draft picks and pay the extra two million a year. Personally, I would absolutely rather do it without f- losing four first round draft picks. Yeah, if you are, if you want to be that aggressive, you have all the cap space in the world. The cap's going to be going up. There's a new franchise coming in that's going to raise the cap even more. you got sports betting coming in, so that's going to raise the cap even more. This is the summer, if you want to get crazy, to just go, hell yeah, Eric Carlson, you can have $12 million a year. Hell yeah, or Timmy Panarin will give you $11 million a year. Hell yeah, Matt Duchesne, you want $8.5 million a year. This is the year to do it. You're not losing any draft picks. You're acquiring a big need. You're not screwing yourself 
in the cap in the short term. Sure, go for it. I would rather do that and keep, hell, even just keep my second and third round picks. A guy like Duchesne would have more of an impact on the team than a guy like Kasperi Kapanen. Again, he's just who I'm using as an example. There's a few players around the league in a similar circumstance to him. I'm just saying, I can't find a single player in this league worth offer shooting this summer where I don't think the team would immediately match or the cost for them, the draft picks you would have to give up is so insane that it's worth it. You're right. I'm going to go on record before I get, you know, just so everyone can kind of filter or edit their tweets before they get angry at me here. I agree with you, Brad. But think of the tone that we had when we talked about, hell yeah, Columbus, go for it. Balls to the wall, go all out, swing that thing around, that's just do it. That's because they might win a cup. If 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 Braden Point gets us to the playoffs next year to get bounced in the first round and then we watch Tampa Bay walk up to the podium and select Alexi Lafreniere, I'm going to shoot myself. But would you not... Oh, shut up, Siri. Would you Did not... I take my suicide threat a little too seriously there? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Before you can do that, you would need to unlock your iPhone. Yeah. Um, would you not, after the deal was done, say, well, I guess now we have Braden Pointer and Mitch Marner. Better embrace it. There's worse places to be in the world. It's not the worst case scenario. It's not signing just an ablocator to a seven-year contract. But again... Here's the thing. Uh, what Mitch Marner is going to command in dollar value and free agency, that is by the offer sheet rules for first round picks. Same with Braden Point. Yeah. All you need is one of them to turn into a Mitch Marner and you got absolutely hosed on the deal. And given where the Red Wings are as a team for the next couple of years, odds are these are going to be in the top five for the foreseeable future. So, yeah, no, I no, don't do that. If this was if the Red Wings were a team that I would even say right now is like a fringe playoff team and we're talking about giving up four like 15th overall picks for Mitch Marner. Hell yeah. 10 out of 10 times do that because I'm getting the legit franchise talent, whereas that's not likely happening at 15th overall. The Dylan Larkins at 15 are rare. That's the exception to the rule. It's uncommon for that to happen. So odds are over the course of four years, yeah, you may, if you're lucky, get a player that's almost as good as Mitch Marner. So sure, that's worth it. But given that Detroit could sign this offer sheet and then give up two top five, top 10 picks... To do it? Hell no. God no. You'd have to be insane to do that. This is the most fun I've ever had playing devil's advocate. You on this would have you would have to <laughs> you would have to Columbus this bitch up if you are gonna do that because you cannot pick top five next year. You have to go all in. If you are offer sheeting Mitch Marner, you're throwing infinity money at Eric Carlson. You're throwing Jonathan Erickson and Trevor Daly into a volcano. You are overhauling the shit out of this team so that you can drag and claw your way into a playoff spot so you can justify not giving up, you know, Alexi Lafreniere, Lucas Raymond, or Alex Holt. Well, I, I mean, look at Ottawa. They traded away a first-round pick, and that just might be Jack Hughes. <laughs> <laughs> no, imagine that was us. I've done a few tankathons in the past couple of days just to distract myself, and a, so an alarming amount had uh, Colorado picking twice in the top five. I think it's tankathon screwing with us. No, honestly, it might be. We'll get to tankathon later, though. Uh, first, we're going to move on to um, Eugene Melnick and the Ottawa Senators. So Sunday, uh, last Sunday, so a week ago. Um, I believe it was Sunday, maybe Monday. Uh, Pierre Dor- or it was Sunday. Pierre Dorian went out and said three tries. <laughs> Pierre Dorian said um, 
Guy Boucher is our coach. We support him. I haven't made his job the easiest. I know that. And so uh, we stand by him. Uh, by Monday, Guy Boucher had been let go. So, no, Pierre Dorian said that on Monday. Okay. And by Thursday, Guy Boucher had been fired. That's what it was. I, which was very Senators. Um, and, you know, if they moved on from Guy Boucher, that's one thing or another. I don't necessarily think he was an awful choice. I don't think he's the problem, but that, that's neither here nor there. Right now, um, the kickers were apparently Dorian went into the room and said, I need to see some more compete from you guys. I need uh, you guys like this, tell- le- this level of play is unacceptable. <laughs> you know, you know, you're talking to a team where your first line center is Chris Tierney right now. Right, bud? Like you understand that That's you like- traded your top six scores from last year. It's like taking the engine and two wheels off a Formula One car and then walking up to the driver saying, I need you to go faster. Why aren't you going faster? Why are you going slower all of a sudden? (laughs) That's like creating an entire first line of nothing but Jonathan Erickson clones and then expecting them all to score 50 goals a season. I, I, I defended Pierre Dorian and said he actually, considering the circumstances, got a good return. And I thought maybe this guy's just doing the best he can with an awful, awful owner. But I think there's a whole lot of Stockholm syndrome here, and I think he, for him to go in and do that, just shows a level of ignorance the situation and the sport of hockey <laughs> that is kind of appalling. Hey, they're a team. Not anymore, right? He even <laughs> took away that. He even took away that part. And then there's of course that thread on Twitter, which I think you retweeted. So pretty much everything has gone wrong. Uh, the newest thing, without going over everything in that tweet, the newest thing that's gone wrong for Ottawa besides this whole Boucher ordeal has been uh, the LeBreton Flats deal is officially dead. The only true ways in now are a new owner or a miracle. Uh, the donut plan might be the miracle. And which the is, donut plan is... Which is another group of investors comes in, buys up all the property in LeBreton Flats and decides to just kind of build around the central location, put up their condominiums or whatever it's going to be, and then allow the arena kind of in the middle. Um. Which, from the sounds of everybody involved, it doesn't sound like anybody wants to work with Eugene Melnick. And that's not me being facetious. That literally is... Literally nobody does. That's the reports that are coming out. So I would not bank on that happening, which means the Senators are stuck in Canada with Eugene Melnick as the owner. And I couldn't even tell you who their leading scorer is at this point. Uh, uh... Shabbat. It actually probably is Shabbat. No, it's Brady Kachuk. That's not better, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Brady Kachuk. Oh, my God. Um, but that's going to go down heavily because of not having Mark Stone to play with. If you're Brady Kachuk, are you not really upset right now? <laughs> oh, no. Wow. You are right. Yeah. Shabbat by 15 points. I was wrong. <laughs> Defenseman is leading the team in scoring no, no. by 15 points. 15 points over Kachuk. Uh, oh. He's leading the team by six points. That's still not over good. Chris Tierney with eight fewer games played. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Chris uh, Tierney, who would be a third line center on the Red Wings currently. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, Thomas Shabbat would probably be the best player on the Red Wings right now. So, oh, you know, at yeah. least they got that goal. Shabbat is a, is a first pairing defenseman. Had a, like, he's not been great lately, but had an insane, like, Norris well, level start to the He's year. a puck moving defenseman. He has nobody to move the puck to right now. So, that that's acceptable. Yeah, the so the LeBred and Flats deal, the donut plan is, but there there's some questions about legality slash, um, you know, feasibility to that because a federal election is coming up in Canada this year, and there the, is 
the federal in November. Oh god damn it. Yep. I'm not going through this crap again. And the federal government has been very clear, kind of justifiably saying we do not need a giant hole in the ground in the city at the time of a federal election. I don't see how that's relevant at all. It has played into it. It doesn't take a lot of googling to find that. I understand that like sometimes politicians don't like dealing with certain things during It's not even that, it's the optics of it. If, That's... if you're the federal government and you're trying to get reelected and in your capital city, there's a giant hole in the ground for pretty much the biggest infrastructure project there is. That seems like a plus to me. Look at how I'm renovating this city. No, but if the project's not going anywhere, they do not need a visual representation of that for every attack ad against them. Politics... This is the dumbest thing on the face of this earth. Yeah. Anyways, and that, that's not to say for certain. It, there have been whispers of that, um, but it's not. We'll see how this one plays out. Uh, there will undoubt, undoubtedly be more Melnick news to come. But uh, in the meantime, we're going to head over to, to Tavares and the Islanders. So John Tavares made his first appearance in Long Island um, since, you know, signing with the uh, Maple Leafs in the offseason. And uh, it started out with the Islanders, this news station, uh, releasing this, the cringiest video of all time, I'd call it, where people read Borietschke Melnick cringing? Worse. Oh, God, I didn't watch it. You didn't watch this? Now I regret not watching it. It was like Windows Movie Maker, like overlays of like, you were the chosen one, and then like people faking like crying voices. It was like, I was going to puke or laugh. I couldn't decide which one. Um... Like, I, I almost couldn't get through the whole thing. And it oh was... Oh, God. Yeah. And it was 45 seconds long. And then I found out that there's a five-minute version. And I was like, I can't watch that. No. I uh, only ever made it three minutes into the melnick Boryedgki video. I don't know how it ends. Did it, they survive? Uh, well, they did. They found new life when the, uh, the game started because I don't agree with Islanders fans being... Uh, Feeling like, and this is my personal opinion, I don't agree that they feel like personally wronged or that he's a traitor. I'm like, well, if you don't even give the guy a friggin' arena to play in, let alone a good team around you, I do not blame him for leaving. Um, but I can understand being upset. But the, it was two different, like that video and being upset are two different things. But then in the game, the chance and just passion that they had, who's your daddy? Where are your jammies? It's your be- <laughs> It's your bedtime. And it was in like perfect harmony. I was like, okay, that's actually hysterical. Whoever's coordinating that's a genius. It that's was hard. their rage was coordinating it, and that's all it was. Like that kind of stuff, I'm here for that oh, all day. Yes. I like that's like Red Wings fans. We can sit here and say we would never do that. If Dylan Larkin pulled that crap when he gets to unrestricted free agency in five years and signs with uh, you know the Bruins. We would boo the ever living hell out of him when he came back if we lost him for nothing after it sounded for like sure. he was going to sign. I wouldn't be like personally offended and like go to the extent that that stupid radio station did because whatever, I understand it's a business, but I also understand that this is a, I'm a fan. Yeah. You're now the enemy. Boo. (laughs) You have, yeah, you have that. That's your, I wouldn't even say it's your right. That's your expectation as a fan to do that. You should scare the living hell out of player. Nobody's leaving the Islanders anymore. They're, they'd be afraid to. So the throwing of the plastic snakes on the ice was, that was stupid. I mean, if it's not during the gameplay, I'm like, yeah, whatever. We we threw octopi on the ice. Yeah, that's fair, but it's still stupid. Um, and so that was all great. That made anyone smile. And then they come. Uh, Toronto comes back in their next game. They reshuffled the uh, exit order of players uh, at the beginning of the game. And John Tavares, they put him last, and they gave him a spotlight and a standing ovation and a whole show about how much they appreciate him. 
And it was like very like overdone and like you know very intentional. And you can call it cheesy, you can call it a bit much. And then but people were ripping on it like, oh we like you don't. It's like he didn't get stabbed. He was just booed. And I'm like, all right, you know what? Like if you're gonna give like, if the Islanders get away with doing their fans get away with doing what they did, why not? If you're a Leafs fan, I want this star player who risked everything, not risked everything, but, you know, risked his, his reputation. Risked $77 million contract. He's fine. His reputation and came over to and, and has to go through that garbage in Long Island. Yeah, I mean, do that for him. Do I think it was corny as hell? Yeah, absolutely. Would I also be the one making a sign saying, we appreciate you, Dylan Larkin? Yeah, absolutely, I would. So it, it's understandable from both sides. Absolutely hysterical. It's dramatic and petty. And a kind of uh, <laughs> kind of drama we don't often have in hockey. Hockey needs more drama. I'm here for this. This is why, despite popular opinion, I appreciate Brad Marchand. The NHL needs heels. They they uh, need it. And if John Tavares is now a heel, I'm here for it. Evander Kane tweeting the three blind mice gifts after uh, Chara got no supplemental discipline. I love it. Love it. Give uh, it to me all day. Uh, Sean Avery released like a minute long video like ripping on Islanders fans. Okay, Sean Avery needs to piss off. I don't keep he who lives in glass houses. Yeah, you know what? That's fair. <laughs> His points, though, like, I don't agree with everything he said, but he was like, you guys gave him nothing. But then it very quick, quickly turned into an Islanders versus Rangers thing. Um,. It's all it's all just so hysterical to watch. I'm happy we're fans of neither team involved. Um, at the end of the day, the Islanders fans aren't too upset because they're in a playoff spot. At the end of the day, Toronto fans aren't too upset because they have John Tavares. Oh, my God. There are, we do kind of have our own example of this. Sergey Fedorov? Babcock. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I got, I got no ill will towards Mike Babcock, but if I ever go to another Red Wings-Leafs game, when they announce him, I'm going to boo the ever-living shit out of him. I, uh, yeah, I... I completely understand why Babcock did what he did. I hope he never wins a cup. Yeah, exactly. I got, I got. He, they, Toronto threw infinity money at him, and they were in a good spot. I don't begrudge him at all for making that decision. I'd have made that decision. I'm still going to boo the ever-living hell out of him every time I'm at a game that he's there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that, uh, that's, that's fandom. Our quick hits today. We're, we are going to do one mock draft. Or one, sorry. Uh, one tankathon one followed tankathon. by a really quick mock draft. Let's do it. We're going to do a top ten mock draft in under two minutes. You ready? Yeah. Alright. Okay, tankathon ready? in three, two, one. Detroit moved down two picks to five. Damn you, Ryan! Uh, the order goes uh, Vancouver, the Oilers, the Ducks. What? Uh, Ottawa's pick, so Colorado, Detroit, LA, Jersey, Chicago, New York, Buffalo. Those are the top ten. Okay. Vancouver picks Jack Hughes. Okay, who's who am I picking? Number two, Oilers. Capocaco. Ducks pick Vasily Podkolzin. You're the Colorado for Ottawa. I'm Colorado for Ottawa here. Yeah. All right. Dylan Cousins. Yep. Detroit at number five. Bowen Byram. Ooh, I would have won Zegers. Well, you have Elliot number six. Zegers. Uh, New Jersey at number seven will take Kirby Doc. You're Chicago. I'm gonna take Peyton Krebs. Uh, New York at number nine takes ooh, Matthew Boldy. Okay. And Buffalo at number 10. Alex Turcotte. That's the quickest mock draft we've ever done. Woo! 
You're welcome. Let us know how we did in the comments. <laughs> oh, God. I don't even remember my picks. I literally don't. I don't even remember what teams I picked for. Uh, we are going to head over to Overtime, which, of course, is brought to you by your Patreon patrons, um, our supporters. <laughs> we should save that and see if any of those picks come true for those teams. Yeah, we should. <laughs> when we try, it doesn't work. But when we're in a rush. When we winged it, we went seven for ten. <laughs> uh, our patrons get their comments read out on air, guaranteed us our way of saying thank you for supporting the show. Uh, you guys, wow, you have 18 comments on this one, so that's fantastic. I'm going to try not to miss any this week. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, yeah, Rowan. right. Ah, you're going to screw it up. <laughs> Rowan starts. Oh, of course, Rowan's first. Rowan says, greetings, favorite, and Ryan. So with Boucher <laughs> being fired by the Sens, I feel like we're all missing the fact that this is a potential job opportunity for Mr. Blashill. In a similar vein, is Ken Holland a genius for letting Blashill just flat out run this team into the ground temporarily in pursuit of the lottery division crown? I have it on good authority that the Fox Sports Detroit segments on the Hughes family are no coincidence and that the NHL has agreed to us winning the lottery. Now, when I say good authority, I saw it tweeted out. Okay, I tweeted it, but it counts. <laughs> uh, jersey time, the dark timeline version. You can gleefully set fire to five jerseys from the history of the NHL. Well, four because Colorado. Okay, go. Four jerseys that I can set fire to. Okay. Everything the Anaheim Ducks have done over the last ten years. Um... Any jersey with piping. Buffalo's yeah. piping jerseys. I didn't mind the Donald Trump hair jerseys, aesthetically speaking. I didn't love them, but they've... Eh, whatever. Um, uh, three. I need three more jerseys to send into oblivion here. Oilers piping jerseys. Like, I feel like that whole era, like, if we just burned every jersey from 2010, like, that's not original six, we have it covered. Yeah. So I'm going to say I'm going to burn Anaheim's jerseys. I'm going to burn the year 2010. Uh, <laughs> Nashville's jerseys when the letter used to go over like the different like the color switches in the shoulder, like it used to cross over that space. Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh. I'm burning the Winnie Burns Winnie the Pooh oh, jersey. Oh, okay. Like original six jerseys are not to be screwed with, and Boston screwed with them, and it was a travesty. Florida's overly detailed Panther jerseys. Oh, that's a bad take. I love those Panthers jerseys. Hated them. Oh, Ottawa's 3D Senator jerseys. Oh, yeah. God, yeah, yeah. The, their current iterations need to go. I feel like there's something, like, really... Because I'm not going to dump on any of the hilarious Burger King or Duck busting through the ice jerseys. We no. need those. We need those in our timeline. Um, Dallas, when it used to just be the word Dallas. Yeah. I can... Yeah, I'd hear that argument. I, I hate every jersey where it's just the word written across there and then the number underneath, which is apparently all of the NCAA right now. Uh, Joe Caboose119Z Falzone says, I know Doc and Cousins are the consensus four and five, but am I crazy for liking them more than Pod Colson? I think I like Zegras more too. Honestly, I've been doing a lot of rewatching on a lot of these prospects right now, and I've changed my mind from my first rankings on a lot of players right now. Um, I, I'm not sold on anybody outside of Hughes and Kako, and I think I still think 3 to 10 right now is completely interchangeable. I have Zegris going up on my board. Um, I have Doc and Cousins going down. Pod Colson, I'm iffy on. I still don't have him below 4 at worst. Man, I have a lot of the USNTDB guys coming up. It's, it's, this draft is going to be wide open. 
open after Kako. When I went and saw the US NTDP play, I thought Zegris looked a lot like Larkin, but Caulfield look li- looked like Marner. Why is Caulfield ranked so low besides size when Turcotte and Zegris are in the 6 to 10 range? Because Caulfield is 5 foot 6. I, I wish it's stupid that that's still a reason, but that's the reason. Alex DeBrink gets like over a point per game this year, and people are still concerned about that. So. Uh, I think he's going to go lower than where Detroit's going to pick, but someone's going to get a steal on him because he's going to fall into the teens, and it's stupid. If Alex DeBrinkett isn't doing what he's doing this year, Caulfield's probably a second-round pick again, like DeBrinkett was. It's The NHL is slowly catching up, keyword there being slowly. slowly. Yeah, it's fr- a lot of people on Twitter, like you'll notice this uh, resounding chorus of people saying, we all knew what DeBrinkett would be, and it's so frustrating watching my team pass on him twice. Yeah, and he didn't he go like the pick before Detroit too. Yeah, yeah. Of course he did. Uh, Dan Bell says, "Hey, gents, been a while since I commented. Hard for me to comment when this gets posted the day of, since I work night shift. So happy you came out early. I will try to be better about that. Hope all is well. How much more exciting are the games to watch now that Zadina is up? Can't wait to see his first goal. I'm sure it'll be assisted by Abby because, well, Detroit is bananas right now. But waiting for Larkin to hit 30 and Zadina's first goal is the only reason I've been watching." Hard to watch the literal definition of insanity played out in real life each night before one goes insane themselves. Oh, well, great news on a possible extension for Blasio. Should mean solid top five picks for his extended years. Maybe by 2022-23, we'll be ready to compete for the top. Or maybe by then, I'll just laugh hysterically at the TV whenever the wings touch the puck. Either way, I'll have beer, so I'm good with both. Thanks for what y'all do. Cheers. I like your outlook, Dan. There's no lose for you. We need to all adopt that. Lose for Hughes. Uh, Marissa has two questions. One, what are your first impressions of Madison Bowie? Not good, Bob. Uh, as expected, he's a filler player that will be of no impact to Detroit long term. I'd be surprised to see him as a Red Wing in the future. Struggles um, with timing. All his tangible skills look fine. He's a good skater. Everything looks fine. He is a tremendously slow decision maker with the puck and uh, that's when that happens that's how you get Jonathan Erickson uh, two how much of the young guys' development would you say is because of Blashill or is it despite him does Blashill get credit for Larkin's breakout no Larkin is a really unique guy that like you would be erroneous in saying each team even has one um, Larkin is an incredibly talented player I was actually talking to my brother about this last night you notice Larkin used to utilizes game-breaking speed to generate offense, but that often meant overskating the play or the puck or the opportunity. Uh, he slowed that down, and it's not like he's Alex Kovalev or Pavel Datsuk with the puck, and he's not Ovechkin with his shot, and he's not, you know, um, let's say Patrice Bergeron dishing the puck out, but he is incredibly smart, and he is driven, and that you can see that guy works to get better every day. He had a bad sophomore year, and it took, I would say it took him about six to eight months, not bad, but worse sophomore year, especially the first third, two thirds of the season. It took him six to eight months to start being the player that he is now longer than it should have. And that, I would say that's in spite of Blasio. Uh, yeah. I Looking at the raw talent of guys like Mantha and Athanasiu, and Mantha is probably my poster boy for this, I, I think they should be farther along than they are. Honestly, Anthony Mantha probably has the most raw talent out of any Red Wing, and the fact that he's playing at a 25 goal pace again he's not progressing and when a player is that young and not progressing i got a point to development and the coach is the guy who's developing these players day in day out so yeah i'm gonna say everybody who's impl- improved on the red wings is in spite of blash not because of 
Uh, Mike Reed says, hey, my dudes, just signed up as a name level sponsor. Oh, Mike. Thank you, man. Welcome to the Winged Wheel uh, family. Oh, yeah, and you're a new patron. That's amazing. Thank you so much, pal. Uh, I'm one of your longest listeners since the first week of the podcast. Wow. Why? <laughs> Thank you. But I why? S- I still remember the Tampa playoff discussion episodes. Oh, how times have changed. I'll never forget Brad's infamous line, women's hockey always gets the shaft. <laughs> That was you, quality. Uh, I nearly steered off the road during the laughter. He meant well. He did. Brad has come a long way. <laughs> now, Evan, we have to filter out mostly. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm now no longer the only one we've had to edit out for something offensive. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Evan. Anyways, just want to show my support. I'm from Newfoundland and surrounded by Leafs slash Habs fans. So you guys keep me sane. Looking forward to receiving my winged wheel pod shirt and sporting it. Keep up the good work, fellas. Oh, can't wait to wait wait to get it out to you, pal. Yes, uh, bye. Thanks again. Um, John Gordon says, hey, boys, with the post-deadline chatter, it feels a lot like uh, I keep hearing about how geographically culture or slash culturally rich a city is or is not being a primary factor in whether or not a player wants to play for the team in that city. I know it doesn't sound like a major revelation, but is it a li- it is a little surprising giving their lifetime commitment to a sport that is at the end of the day about winning, not the opportunities one has off the ice. Do you think this has long-term implications for teams like Columbus, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Ottawa, and dare I say Detroit? Don't get me wrong, Detroit is a cool place, but for an overworked multimillionaire bachelor, it's not exactly New York or LA. In attracting talent, would it be wise for Kenny or Stevie to emphasize other aspects of the team, or does Detroit as a city still factor into the cell? Um, so here's the thing. You're, you're on to something here. Why do you think Detroit built... Little Caesars Arena, besides the fact that, you know, the Joe is falling apart, they went all out and that factors into players coming to teams. You want to show what you, what your locker room is like. You want to show all the perks of it. It's not like these guys have lives and, you know, they have personalities and they have families. Uh, for example, it's very com- a common trope that Russian players love going to the big cities or somewhere warm, California, Florida, or heading over to New York. And that may- like those are very culturally rich cities with a lot to do around them. Ottawa is culturally rich, but it's freezing. Um, it- and it gets boring fast. And when Winnipeg isn't a cup contender like they are now, the resounding chorus is nobody wants to live in Winnipeg. And so it is difficult and it does factor in it. And I think it makes sense because these are people. It long gone. It, this is more of a business now than it ever has been, and so these guys have to look out for themselves on and off the ice. Again, if I if we look at everything in a vacuum, and I was an NHL free agent, if I didn't care about winning, let's say I had already won a cup in my life and whatever, I personally would probably sign with one of the three California teams, and I don't even think I would consider another offer. I'd happily take a mil less per year to live in California. Again, I live in Ontario, Canada. I have been to california a ton for work i'm going to california like there's there's no way unless la san jose and anaheim are literally telling me we're not offering you a contract i'm going because it it, could you imagine just walking into like your morning skate and just a t-shirt shorts flip-flops you can go out and hang on the out on the beach after you know do whatever you want go surfing just that's your life during the season and outside of game days, of course, come on. How much is that worth to you in your life? I would say a ton because you were living there for eight months a year. Also factoring things that are off ice, um, no income tax states. Yeah. Yeah. Vegas would probably actually might even be one of my like first choices. You want to know what I found out about Toronto? You want to know a big reason why? Well, not all the time because it 
part like a big reason why they're so bonus heavy is because they're a, a wealthy team. They're a cash rich team because they're but, the heaviest tax team in the league. Well, and that's the thing. They get to pay Austin Matthews his bonus and they bill it to his primary residence, which is in Arizona, yep. which is a you know low to no income tax state. Incredibly smart. And if you think that's not fair, them's the rules. Until they change, Toronto's going to take advantage of that. Uh, bonus question, who are your top three favorite legends to play with in Apex? Brad doesn't play, so I'll answer this. Uh, he says, I love Lifeline, and if some nerd picks her before I'm able to pick, I'm going Bangalore, then Bloodhound. Also, a winged wheel Apex group would be amazing. Oh, that's a good idea. Uh, I'm a I'm a Bloodhound main. Uh, I do like just like shield spamming with Gibraltar. Or and then my third is either Lifeline or Bangalore. Uh, Warmcore Music says no uh, known our need for elite prospects on D. Would you guys draft Bowen Byram at pick three to five? Is he a clear step up in skill from Chalosky, Heronik, or McIsaac? Last year, we took best player available, and we needed a goal-scoring prospect. We still need more of it, and I would agree we can't pass on Hughes or Kako if we get in the top two, but don't we need to spend some top picks on defensemen soon? Is Kirby, Doc, or Cousins that much better than Valeno? Uh, I, like I said, I've come down on Cousins and Doc. Um, I'm not huge on Byram. I've seen one very prominent um, prospect writer say this is one of the worst drafts for defensemen he's ever seen. So I'm going to say, yeah, you can avoid defensemen in this draft because you can't reach for positional need, especially considering the wings still do not have, are, are still missing a top two center and are still missing a top two, a top line winger. They are, they are hurting everywhere. Do not underestimate that. You, Detroit is in the advantageous spot here where they can literally go best player available and not have to think twice about it no matter what position it is if i was given the choice i hope it's a center but you go best player available here no matter what um and the thing is something that we're doing now is and probably this is like a self-preservation thing but uh, red wings fans are tending to limit their scope in terms of what this team's outlook is. And that's not to say that they're denying that the team's going to be bad for for some time. But it's hard to recognize the fact that the Red Wings are likely going to be in nearly this exact same position next year. Maybe not 31st, 30th, 29th, but 28th, 27th, 26th. That's the reality of it. And so the Red Wings have probably another lot, like strong lottery year ahead of them, at least. And I'm sorry, that sucks to hear. Realistically, now that the trade line's dead and, dead and gone, the Red Wings roster next year may legitimately just be swapping out Vanek for Svechnikov and Cronwell for Chalosky, and that's that's it. Coming back with the same team otherwise, and that's better. But but it ain't great. It's still not great. Uh, Philip Gastineau says, I'm upset that we've had two episodes about Fedorov and you guys failed to mention both times that he won a heart and Selkie in the exact same year. You're right. We have forgotten to mention that. And that is an insane thing to achieve. I think once you win the heart, it doesn't matter. Beyond that, you won the heart. Um, there are a good amount of teams that have some of the best players in the world and have had success in the recent past. Now, they aren't doing too well. For example, LA, Chicago, and Pittsburgh. The best players are in the low 30 range. If they rebuild, not only will it be difficult to get a first overall be, uh, pick because they have people like Patrick Kane, but by the time they rebuild, these stars will be old. What should they do? You do the best you can because you won multiple cups, and that was the price you paid. And you do what Detroit's doing right now is when these guys turn 30, you don't give them big contracts. So Nyquist is a shark because of that exact reason. And 
yeah, some of these players you got to give legacy contracts to to hope to pull out that one more cup, knowing full well that the back half of that contract you are screwed. That's that's the cost of winning multiple cups. Uh, Matt G says, "Hey guys, at this point in his nine games of being called up, and with how our season has been all year, do you think Zadina should be getting some first line experience before he's sent back down to Grand Rapids? I know players have to earn their spot, but why not give the kid a taste? How much worse could could we get?" He's playing top six right now. I'm not going to fuss. If it's, yeah, I'd rather him play with Larkin, but whatever. Uh, Joshua Zura says, hey guys, it's been a while since my first question, but I was taking a look at our forwards in the next few years, especially top nine. And it looked really nice when trying to come up with the fourth line. I actually had some trouble deciding who to put into the lineup and had only factored in one player from this upcoming draft, one of Hughes, Kako or Pod Colson, because I was feeling optimistic. Other than that, it was all players currently in the system. Larkin, Zadina, Mantha, Athanasiu, Valeno, Burt, Svechnikov and Rasmussen. I figure if we land one of Hughes or Kako, then our superstar forward need is settled. We'll have either a true number one center in Hughes or have Larkin with Zadina and Kako on his wings, which is more than serviceable for a contending team. Anyway, my point is, considering I was already having a hard time deciding who to crack the roster with, just with who we have already, and we still have a lot of picks coming our way, and we'll probably get a solid first round selection next year, I was thinking about the value of trading some of our young offensive prospects and maybe even picks to land that coveted number one D-man we were looking at. Not saying this summer or anything, but if we miss out on Carlson, what would you guys think of something like that sooner rather than later? I know it's not standard for rebuilding team slash sellers to ship out assets for roster players, but I think if we add that piece, we won't be far from contention within the next few seasons. I'm aware a lot of this is based on hypotheticals and speculation, uh, but I don't think anything I propose is too far-fetched, and I could see I could see things playing out that way. Was wondering what you guys think. Keep up the great work, boys. P.S. Nice job pronouncing my name correctly on the first question a couple weeks ago. Uh, Joshua Bzura. Bzura. Yeah, I think that's right. So your whole premise makes sense and it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to do, but you're missing one very key thing in that logic. The Red Wings do not have a single asset in their entire organization that is worth a number one defenseman. So you're, you can try and trade for that number one defenseman all you want, but your offer is going to be Larkin plus. So if you're comfortable giving up Dylan Larkin and Athanasiu for, I don't know, who's a good number one young defenseman, uh, Seth Jones, that's probably not even enough, truthfully. You're, you're looking at, yeah, ah, Larkin and Athanasiu might get it done, but that's the price you're paying. It's not going to be a forward for a number one defenseman. Uh, an Andreas Athanasiu by himself in the current market at best is getting you a number three defenseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chad Avina, who I believe is a new patron. He, oh, he said, hey guys, just signed up as a patron. Uh, welcome to the Winged Wheel family. Thank you for supporting us. says, happy to be supporting you guys finally. I was looking over Mrazek's contract with the Canes and saw he's only signed to a one-year deal with them. Would there be a case for the Wings deciding not to see, re, deciding to not resign Howard and making a run at Mrazek for 2 to $2.5 million over the next few years? I still think the guy has a ton of potential and just hasn't been given a real shot. Maybe if Blashill and Holland don't return, that would be the only way I would ever see Mraza coming back. He was he felt felt slighted and I think justifiably so by the org. Yeah, he doesn't see it didn't seem like he wanted to be here by the time it was all said and done. So I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that's gonna be a really really long odds. That being said, uh, do I think he's that much of a downgrade from 
Jimmy Howard at this point? Yeah, not really. He's, he's having been on an, fire lately. He's having an all right season in Carolina with a 904 save percentage, but I mean it ain't great. So I I don't think it matters. Also, I just got Chell 19 recently and I'm playing in fantasy mode as the wings. Decided to trade to Kaiser for Anders Lee. Applicator came to me and said he wasn't happy with my managerial decisions for trading away one of his buddies. I promptly stripped him of his A and sent him to the Griffins for a few games. Just a little retribution for the shit he's made us watch all year. Thanks for the great content. Cheers, fellas. Can Thank you. you. Kaiser gets you Anders Lee. Can we do that? <laughs> uh, Glitch says, what's up, fellas? I've got two questions. First, what's the deal with the Islanders and, Islanders and Tavares? I missed all that juicy drama. Ooh, it was just a lot of juicy drama. Uh, secondly, I'm looking back at past trades. Why the crap did Edmonton ever trade Gretzky? The man had four 200-point seasons with them. Money. Money. It was a money thing. It was a stupid thing. Fun fact, he very nearly came to Detroit before his dad recommended um, that he, he go to... I've told that story on this podcast yeah. before, right? Yeah. yeah. He he had he had agreed he was going to Detroit. And mm-hmm. then it was a last-minute switcheroo that sent him to LA. Thanks. Thanks, Walter. Yeah. Uh, I love Walter. Garrett TV says, guys, very late comment here. And since you've surely covered all the easy stuff, I thought I'd bring in the heavy-hitting topic for your opinion. Pickles. If I pickle something such as carrots, okra, cauliflower, etc., can I refer to those things as pickles? Or is the term pickle reserved only for the blessed Kirby cucumber? Asking for a friend, go wings. There's only one pickle. It, you you use it then as a verb. You pickled it. It doesn't become a so, pickle. So in the UK, they call what we would colloquially call a pickle a pickled cucumber because they pickle everything. Also, I'm Middle Eastern and we pickle everything. And we have kind of a word for the entire like host of foods. So it's... In North America, you would call pickled cauliflower, pickled cauliflower, and a pickle a pickle. But if you want to get wild with it, yeah, it's a fight I could see you having. I it's love not pickles. A, it's not a fight I'm making. Pickles are good, though. Uh, K-Waz says, hey, guys, what's up? I'm scheduled to for my last solo flight uh, in the part of training I'm in. Uh, formation flying is awesome. About a month ago till I finished this part. Back to hockey, I just saw a tweet from uh, hsimon62 that said the Sabres have gone 33 games without back-to-back wins. The Buffalo Tank season team only lasted 31 games. Why will Edmonton and Buffalo win the lottery, and why does the world hate us? Oh, um, because <laughs> uh, nothing is fair in this world. Winter will never end. Um, our bloodlines are weak, and we won't survive. That's pretty much what we've gathered. Mark Burnham says, Otto Kivin Mackey heating up in the Liga. I would love to see him get to the wing someday, being such an off-the-board late-round pick. Do you think it would be awesome if the NHL adopted the Finnish Liga's gold helmet for the team's leading scorer, blue helmet for the top under-20 player, etc.? Seems like it could be fun. Okay. I understand why they do it. I just want to be on record saying I hate it. It looks stupid. For no other reason. I love the concept of it. It just looks stupid. I would like to go on record that saying I want it just because I realize now that Brad hates it. Purely it, for that reason. I like the whole thought behind it. If like Dylan Larkin was wearing something to signify that he's the leading scorer all year, cool. I'm here for it. It sh- just the gold helmet they use. Like even watching Asset, the black, red, and white jerseys with the gold helmet, it was stupid. It looked dumb. <laughs> I love the concept, but poor execution. Uh, Jared Mello says, following Tuesday's game, I, unlo- I unknowingly left Fox Sports Detroit on and left the room. After a few minutes, I hear my wife exclaim, Ugh, sh- stop, shut the fuck up. I then came back in the room to examine and was greeted by my wife's disgust- disgusted face staring up at the TV that was displaying a Jeff Blaschel interview. My wife then turns to me and says, Who is this guy? Why did they let him speak on camera? After I explained to her that he's the coach of the Red Wings, she pauses and then remarks, Oh, now everything the guys in the podcast say makes so much more sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, thank you, Mrs. Mello. We're I'm happy we're finally making sense. That is more to say than what other people might think of us, so we appreciate it. And also a favor of Fox, uh, a favor I have to ask of Fox Sports Detroit. Just stop showing Blash on the bench, please. I love it. I can't take his faces anymore. I love it. I, I understand that he can't help it. That's just his mannerisms. That's just what he does when he's thinking, if he does think ever. It, 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 I can't. I can't look at it anymore. And it's not even that Blashill's an awful-looking dude. It's these faces are so dumb, it just demeans the organization. Uh, is it just me, or does Adina look like... Or does it look like Zadina's truly trying to make the most of this stint? He seems to be everywhere on the ice trying to make opportunities in the offensive zone and hustle for the back check. He, like, he, I'm I think happy he, someone is. He knows he doesn't have a lot to play with. Um... Advanced Water says, I really want to watch Zadina's first NHL goal live, but some of these games are painful to watch. Also, does it look like Howard is moving too much when going to block shots? Maybe it's just me, but I swear he's moving so much more than he used to, which is leaving the net exposed. Howard is um, prone to some mental lapses. That means like sometimes his fundamentals get a little wonky. He always comes back to form either by the end of the season or next season. Also note that when you have to move back and forth laterally way more than the average goaltender should, it's going to throw off your fundamentals and mechanics, i.e. Red Wings defense bad. Uh, Adam Flett says, quick question. As it stands, which of the Wings pick in 2018 was the biggest steal? Valeno, McIsaac, Zadina, or Ellison? Uh, Eliason, you mean? Eliason? Um, Until further notice, it's Joe Valeno. Which is saying a lot. Yeah. Which you guys don't need us to tell you. Um, we have time for some questions from our uh, Reddit thread. Top comment from Clamona42 says, Why does Garden with or why does Larkin with a goatee look like AJ Soprano also growing facial hair to look older? <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of the goatee, but hey, if if that's what he likes, all the power to him. Jazz the Juice says, Is cheesecake a cake or a cheese pudding pie? Based on the shape and how you eat it, I'm going to say it's a cake. I would say it's pie-shaped. Well, I've seen cheesecake in a lot of different ones, but generally it comes out in a thick, round shape. That's cake. Uh, Wingsfan64 says, Ryan, Brad, Evan. Long odds in that one, but oh well. A uh, bit of a controversial take, but I haven't been impressed by Athanasiu lately. I don't think his stick handling slash puck control is actually that good. He seems to just skate directly into the defenders and occasionally manage to pull the puck out of the fray. Spent several hours on a backhoe trying to dig a couple holes in this frozen wake- wasteland that is Michigan. Unfortunately, the wings play looked more nu- <laughs> wings play looked more numb than my toes. Zadina needs someone on his line that can pass him the puck, i.e. Bertuzzi or Vanek when he gets back. You might have discussed it already, but how do you feel about the team now that Nyquist and Jensen are gone? I think it's really showing that we lost two of our top possession guys. Keep up the good work, signed, contemplating a Nyquist Sharks jersey. <laughs> yeah, it's... They weren't good before. They're not going to be good now. Athanasiu just needs to do what Larkin did and learn to diversify his skill set. Athanasiu's guilty of tunnel vision a lot and it runs him into problems but that being said he's really good at what he does it's why he gets so many scoring chances but yeah he's got to find other avenues and learn to be a little more patient with the puck uh we have time for one more question brad pick a number between one and five one all right uh yarvik seven says both last year and so far this year they've rolled over and gone tits up after the trade deadline with the total lack of effort and enthusiasm what's with this 
Are they so hurt about seeing teammates go to playoff teams that they curl up, suck their thumbs, and, <laughs> and tug on themselves instead of playing hockey? I know Vlashill doesn't inspire me, but uh, have the players turned his process out? You play on a losing team long enough and then see the game plan of trade away the best players around you, and you're not even one of the best players to get traded, and that's going to be discouraging. I also don't think the players have ever really bought into Blashill's system, and so, yeah, that, I, I'm not surprised by the uninspired play. You only see inspiration from the Larkin, Bertuzzi, guys who know they have skill and are, uh, desperately want to win. You see a lot of uninspired play from a lot of players you wish you wouldn't on some nights. Not all nights, but some nights. Their efforts right after the trade deadline, I agree, were... Yeah. They lost 8-1. Yep. Enough said. So with that, we're going to wrap up this week's episode. Guys, we do have um, a lot of big things coming. April's going to be a big month. We're going to make some uh, pretty notable improvements to the podcast. Uh, If you haven't noticed, um, starting with the trade deadline episode, we're going to be uploading every episode that's recorded. Um, Some of them aren't because of interviews to YouTube with full quality audio. So I'm going to be doing a little uh, magic to make sure you get full quality audio. For those of you weirdos who like watching us on YouTube, um, patrons, uh, check out Patreon for the uh, video to the pre-show link, uh, or the link to the pre-show video. Got that backwards. Uh, with that, we're going to wrap up. I want to thank all of our Patreon supporters, our name-level sponsors, Sean Levine, Chad Hiersack, Sky Carcass, Arjun Shanker, uh, Andrew Pietkowski, who's also new, uh, Clayton Van Dyken, Mike Reed, Langabeer, Derek Shippard, Kalen Wood, Charlie Elkins, Stan Olson, Ryan Lewis, Dan Bell, and Hannah Lee. Thank you guys so much. Uh, if you guys want to support us in other ways, go to Twitter, at WingedWheelPod. Follow that account. And then if you go to the bio, you'll find our three individual accounts. We love when you guys follow us on there. We love interacting with you on Twitter. Like on Facebook. Leave ratings wherever. It's been one hell of a weekend. I'm going to go finish this beer that I stole from Brad. Go home and drown in some pizza. Mm-hmm.